Just want to welcome everybody at all of our campuses joining us online, or maybe you're watching this down the road in the future on our on-demand. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here. We are in the final week of a teaching series called What is Love? And man, I'm excited for this next week as we get ready to celebrate, reflect first on Good Friday, the sacrifice that Jesus made uh, as he prepared to go to the cross and His humanity was crushed and went through that pressing and then Easter as we look forward to uh, celebrating the resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ. And just kind of to set that up, we're ending the series, What is Love? And we've been seeking to answer this question, What is Love? by looking at the book of 1 John. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to open up uh, the Bible to 1 John. If not, if you have a device you can go to the Version Bible app, click on events, and you can grab the notes today. So what is love? What comes to mind? If you had to answer that question, what comes to mind? So I, I, looked, uh, I, I looked online at what people were saying, and uh, this was from a seven-year-old named Danny. He says, love is when my mommy makes my dad some coffee, and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it's not too hot. That's what love is. And so this gave me an idea that I want to ask some kids that I know, what is love? So I asked my kids, I actually texted them, (laughs) I texted all my kids, what is love? And Chloe, my youngest daughter, she says, love is when dad cleans the bathroom because he knows that mom hates to, all right? And that's true at my house. I don't know the last time my wife has cleaned a toilet, but uh, <laughs> she does other things, and that's what I do. That's what love is. And so my wife, Lynette, she is the director of Sunshine World. It's a daycare that's connected here at the Kearney campus, and there, I don't know, there's 140, 50 kids in that daycare. And so I went and asked some of these kids, what is love? And here's some of the answers. Hudson, age five, says, getting hugs from my parents. Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. And then Finn, age six, he says, when I said, what is love? He says, when my mom makes me food. Now, I was like, Finn, you are my people. I am with you. Uh, You can tell your mom that you have a new friend. Love is when my mom makes me some food. Marley, age five, said, God. I love it. Sunshine World Daycare kids, they go to chapel, and they know the answer. And Pastor Jeff teaches us, if you don't, if you do the first thing... You say when uh, you're asked a question in church is God, Jesus, or something like that, right? But that's so true, God. And then uh, Brinley, age four, I asked her, Brinley, and I know her parents, and I said, Brinley, what is love? And she said, my daddy. Wow, that's good. Sorry, uh, mom. Uh, (laughs) But she, I know them, and she is definitely a daddy's girl. How would you answer this question? Because, you know, context is important because love has so many different meanings. In fact, in the New Testament, there are up to five different words for love. I'm going to tell you about four of them in the New Testament. There's this word in in the Greek that we translate into English love. It's storge, and that's the kind of love that you have for your family. It's the love that's affection, companionship, or belonging. And then there's phileo. That's the love that you have for friends, all right? That's the companionship, that friendship type of love. And then there is eros, and that's romantic love. And so if you're sitting next to your spouse, just say, I eros you. Come on. (laughs) It's the romantic kind of love. And then the love that most of 1 John is dealing with, and especially chapter 5 that we're talking about 
today is this word agape. And it's the love that's most often described to God. It's the unconditional love that God has for us and that he says that we can have for him and for other people. And so love has a different meanings. And so it depends on the context when you answer that question, what is love? And I think everybody is asking, what is love? I mean, consciously or subconsciously is, am I loved? And am I loved in the way that it's unconditional, that it doesn't matter what I do, there's not a condition on that love. Am I loved? And everybody is asking that question. And I I heard this recently on a podcast. It, it, It was profound. It just stuck to me. It says, what informs you, forms you. What informs you, forms you. And I believe that the Bible is the pinnacle of truth. It's the ultimate thing that should inform our lives. And it not only gives us informational truth, right? We're going to talk about some of that today. It gives us the truth about God and about us and about salvation and the cause and effect of faith. It it gives us that kind of truth. The, The Bible is also the truth in that it is a mirror. And as we look into it, it reveals who we are. It reveals our condition, our situation. And if we will allow that to inform us, it will form us. And it will form us into the image that God created us to be, people that can know and experience the love of God and can love God unconditionally with God's kind of love and can love others with that agape, unconditional kind of love. So let's let God's truth inform us today. And I said we're in the book of 1 John. John was an apostle, but he also wrote a gospel. And I'm going to take you first, before we get to 1 John, to a very familiar passage. No matter or not, if you grew up in the church, I'm sure you've heard this most likely. John 3.16. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How many, raise your hand at all of our locations, you've ever heard that? You've ever heard John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We get to see this expression of love in John 3, 16. And the first, of, first of all, the thing that we see here is that love offers real life. God's kind of love offers us real life. Now, John 3, 16, what does it do? It gives us this fundamental truth, this fundamental definition, the expression of of God's kind of love and the result of his love. So it says that he loves us. And who did, who did, who did it say that God loves? God so loved the, the world. Every single person. God so loved the world that he offered us. He made a plan to take our place on the cross so that he could offer us a gift. So God loved the world, he loved everybody, in spite of our sin, that he made a plan, and he followed through on that plan that he could offer us the gift. And what is the gift? Eternal life. And it is given to those who put their trust in him. You see, real love offers life. And it's not about just believing that Jesus existed. It's not about being an American, therefore... I'm a Christian, or I was raised in church, or I even attend church. It's not about that. It's about believing and putting your faith, which is a spiritual thing, and your trust in Christ. It's about this word surrender. It's about surrendering to him as Lord, that I'm no longer the one in charge, the leader of my life, but you are the Lord 
as in a king. And I surrender to you. It's putting your faith and trust in him. And the gift that we receive is eternal life. And by the way, eternal life is not just life after this body dies. It includes that. But the gift that God offers us in his expression of real love to us is eternal life here and now. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and life to the fullest. Eternal life begins now where God comes in and he resurrects our dead spirit. He puts his breath in us, his life in us, and he lives his life through us. It's here and it's now. So love offers real life. And so we're going to jump to 1 John. Now, as I mentioned, John was an apostle. That means he was one who was sent out uh, to spread the good news. He was a part of uh, the, 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 the different disciples that went out and started churches and all these kinds of things. And he wrote uh, the Gospel of John, and he also wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We've been looking at 1st John. And most likely, he wrote John 3.16, the Gospel that we read. Most likely, he wrote that before he wrote these letters. Okay, And so he wrote these letters to Christians, to believers. And so perhaps they heard already... John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But at the very least, we know that they knew that truth and they accepted it because they accepted and they put their trust in Christ. And so with that in mind that he's writing this to believers, let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and he says, I write these things to you who believe. So he's writing to believers who believe in the name of the Son of God, that is Jesus. And then he says this, that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing this to you who put your trust in Christ, you've surrendered to him, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, that sounds very interesting. And I mean, I mean, shouldn't that just be assumed that they put their trust in Christ and shouldn't they automatically already know? That's like the package deal, right? That they should know this. But John is writing them this letter in this, this section, he's saying, here's one of my motives for writing this to you. And you see this all throughout, even First John, that in the series that we, uh, the previous weeks that Pastor Jeff has been preaching, you'll see this come up again. I'm writing this so that you will know this. Here he's saying, I'm writing this so that you who believe and you put your trust in Christ may know that you have eternal life. So why is this so important? Well, maybe you, some of you might be like me. And you were raised in a Christian home, raised in church. Um, I was from birth, from uh, birth. Yeah, there's a picture on the screen that you'll see. That's not my birth, but I'm a little older than that. But from birth, I was raised to, to know that Jesus loves me. And in fact, if you were raised in the church, let's just sing the first part of that song. Ready? Jesus. Come on, let me hear you. All of our campuses. All right, you know it. That's so good. That's so good. And I was raised to know that. And so there's a picture. Uh, my dad was a pastor. That is when we lived in a little town called Jamestown, Missouri. Go, go back to the other picture back uh, with me. I'm right there in the middle with the tie on. That might be the last time anybody ever sees me in a tie. I had somebody ask me when I was a lead pastor in Arizona, why don't you wear a tie? And I said, well, you can see me in a tie or you can see me in a smile, but you can't see me in both. I'm just kidding. 
Yeah, but so that was Easter, and oh man, I remember that. That was right. We had a house that we lived in right there. And then the next picture, these are my parents. They taught me to know and love Jesus. Uh, look at those, the, those aviators in my, in my dad's stash. That's so cool. <laughs> and this was when we, he was a pastor in Griffith, Indiana. And at the same picture, the next picture, this is about the age of when I put my trust in Christ. That's my oldest sister, my youngest brother, who is a, he's a missionary in Eurasia, and there I am in another tie. All right. And this is probably Easter as well. This picture I wanted to share with you because this is about the age that I put my, my trust in Christ, that I gave my heart to Jesus. And I remember my mom praying with me as my six or seven-year-old heart said, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord, be my leader, be my Savior. And so I grew up in that environment knowing that Jesus loves me. And I grew up, if you grew up like me in church, I mean, I grew up doing sword drills in kids' ministry where kids' leaders taught me. Sword drills is, the Bible says that uh, we have the armor of God and there's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we would get our Bibles out and, you know, the, the kids' ministry leader would, would say, John 3.16, and the first one that could get there and stand up got to read it. And we learned the Word of God in that way and going to vacation Bible school in the summers and having... You know, kids ministry on Easter, Easter egg hunts that brought in tons of kids and they got to hear about Jesus. And I went to youth camp, kids camp, then youth camp. And, and I grew up in that environment. But as my young faith grew, I knew that Jesus loves me, loved me. But I also knew that I still sinned. In fact, one time I remember my sister, you saw a picture of her. And I still remember this, one of my earliest memories about the time I gave my life to Jesus, six, seven years old, and I had a BB gun. And uh, you remember the old movie, the kid that wanted a BB gun, and the mom said, you'll shoot your eye out, all right. So I still remember my sister, I don't know what got into me, but my sister was coming at me, and I thought, I'm, I'm aiming at her, and she, she was probably, you know, 50 yards away. I'm aiming at her, I'm going to shoot her, but there's no way I'm going to hit her, I'm just going to scare her. So I shot my... <laughs> I shot the BB gun and it hit her right in the eyebrow. I mean, so close. She's my older sister and she came in crying. And now I'm crying and I'm feeling guilty and I'm feeling this overwhelming guilt um, that, I, that I almost shot my sister's eye out. And so I felt so guilty. I still remember I had Star Wars tennis shoes on. And I said, I'm sorry, and I'm going to shoot myself. And I shot myself right in the toe, in the foot, and, and it hurt way worse than I thought it would. <laughs> so I was going to take the punishment for my sin. And oh, man, it hurt. I hit it right on my toe, the knuckle of my toe. And, um, and so I knew that Jesus loved me, even when I sinned, but I knew I still sinned. And so... Why am I telling you this story? Because there's, there's more to it. I, as my faith grew, I knew that Jesus loved me. I still sinned, but I had this concern because I knew that we should confess our sin. Even in 1 John, it says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And so my understanding as I was working out my young faith was what if I forget to confess? Or what if I sin in that moment? Am I now out? I know God loves me, but as far as my salvation, am I going to heaven? And, and so I had this insecurity that I was still good with God. 
And I, I mean, there's a, again, this is a, in part a natural part of a young faith working out its salvation. But there was that insecurity that what if I forget or what if I don't confess? What if something happens and I don't have the time to confess? To, am, I, am I out? And I think that uh, sometimes we do this to ourselves, even as adults. We can wrestle with the insecurity after we've put our faith and trust in Christ as, am I actually a child of God? And we need the confidence. And John says, I write this to you, those who have put their, who believed on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you may have eternal life. There's this confidence he's trying to instill. My, my uh, son, Ryan, when he was about the age of the story I've shot my, shot my sister, he too did something very similar. He didn't shoot his sister, but I came home one day and his older sister was, was crying and I discovered that Ryan had told his sister, I hate you and I wish I wasn't a part of this family. Now, I knew my son didn't hate his sister. He was just having a temper, you know, explosion and they were getting along and he was mad and he was angry and I hate you and I wish I wasn't a part of this family. Well, what did, what did that, that made me mad. And so I said, okay, Ryan, you hate your sister and you don't want to be a part of this family. Let's go find you a new family. And so we got in the car and we went down the road. There was a Home Depot. I still remember this. And we went into the parking lot and I said, okay, we're going to find you a new family. And as people started coming out, I said, hey, that looks like a good family. And he's crying, no, dad. And I, and I got him to believe that we were literally doing this. And this family came out. I said, that looks like a great family. Let's go see if you can become a part of their family since you hate your sister and you don't want to be a part of this family. And I still remember Ryan's crying, no, daddy. And he's holding on to my arm and trembling. And no, no, not my proudest parent moment. Do not take this advice. <laughs> Don't do it. And he's in tears and he's crying. And even though my point was made, we went home and he apologized to his sister. He said, I love you. And my point was made. The feeling that will never leave me, and I bring this up now, now thankfully nowadays he's not in therapy for this and we can laugh about it. <laughs> But what I'll never forget is for a few moments, I, I can still see my son's eye that he believed that he was no longer going to be a part of his family and that I was letting him go. So we went home. I assured Ryan, Ryan, you'll always be my son. And we cried. And I probably bought him a lot of toys and a lot of things because it was a really bad move for me. I assured him, you'll always be my son. You'll always be a part of my family. Aren't you thankful our heavenly father is not like some earthly father's? Now, he will let us go our own way if we hate his, his kids and we really don't want to be a part of his family. Jesus even told a, a story known as the story of the lost son of the prodigal son. And in that representation, that, will, that does happen, that God will let us make our choice to leave his family till we come to our senses. And he's praying for that every day. But as children of God, we can be insecure. God doesn't want us to be insecure. We, he wants us to have confidence. 
But see, we can do this to ourselves. We can live with this insecurity. Am I in or am I out? You see, real love, God's kind of love, his unconditional love, offers confidence. You might want to write that down and remember it. He offers confidence. I write this so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, God is assuring his children that they are, in fact, his children. God's love, giving us confidence, offers us a lifeline out of a life of insecurity. So if you're, if you're here, you're listening at any of our campuses, and you've put your faith and trust in Christ, and, and you are responding to the Holy Spirit when he convicts you of your, your sin, can I just assure you that you have eternal life, that you, if your faith is in Christ, that God has given you eternal life, that you are God's children. God, real love offers confidence. God wants to offer that confidence to some of you today, that he has past grace for the sins that you've committed and you've put your trust in Christ and you've accepted his forgiveness. There's grace for past, there's past grace, there's present grace. God has grace for you now and there's future grace. God has grace for you now, so you don't have to live with that insecurity. And so why should we confess? If there's past and present and future grace and God's going to forgive us of our sins, why do we confess? This goes back to when I was a kid. I thought, okay, this was a a transaction. In every event that I had of sin, I needed to confess. Well, that is a good thing because confession is a natural outflow of a relationship with God where you feel the conviction, you recognize your sin, you're convicted, and you confess it. And then there's this word, this church biblical word, repentance. Confession and repentance are different, though they go together. Repentance is a change of mind and direction. It's where you change your behavior. So I'm not repenting when I confess that I've sinned to God. But confession may come along with repentance, and confession and repentance go hand in hand. And again, it's, it's the outflow, it's the fruit that I'm in connection with God, that when I sin, yes, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness in that confession. It's the, the natural thing. So, the, so it's, it's natural, but it's also, confession and repentance is also part of reframing our relationship with our sin. When we confess and we repent, we change our behavior, it's reframing that relationship with sins. It's kind of like a rewiring of the way that we think and live so that the next time we're tempted to sin, we will more quickly see the way out that God promises us when we sin. So God offers grace, but confession and repentance, it's not, it's not necessarily in our relationship with God. A, you're in, now you're out. You're in, now you're out until you confess and repent. But it goes hand in hand. So love gives us confidence. It gives us confidence. But you also need to know this as well with the confidence. With that love offers real life. Love offers real confidence. That love offers the real truth. Remember I said the word of God is a mirror. It shows us who we really are. John said, I want you to know that you have eternal life. But who was he talking to? He was talking to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, I want you to have this confidence. But real love offers us the truth. Let me set it up this way. Let's go to verse 19 in 1 John 5. He says this, we know that we are of God. So he's talking again to believers, including himself. We know that we are of God. And then he says, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
Did you know that there is a sway, that there is an evil influence? And John is contrasting two kingdoms, I believe, here. The kingdom of God, that we are of God, and then the kingdom of this world. And everyone who is not surrendered and living and surrendered to Christ is under this, this sway. And so you can have a confidence that God wants you to have that you are a child of God, but only if, in fact, you are in the kingdom, that you are in that first kingdom, those who are of God, that put their faith and trust in Christ. And the pathway to that is not physical birth and just being born in a Christian family like I was, or coming to church, or just intellectually accepting that God exists and Jesus must be God's son. But it's spiritual birth. It's, again, that surrender. And without surrender to Christ, through faith, there is no confidence. And you are under the sway of the evil one. Now, the sway is real. How many do you feel the sway? Do you feel the sway? There is an influence. And for the believer today, let me just say, the enemy would love for you to succumb to the sway. He would love to take you out. He would love to remove you. That's why John ends his letter in verse 21. He says this, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Why? To the believers, because there is a sway. There is this influence. and There's all kinds of things that would want to take the place of God in our hearts. Things that seem innocuous. Things that seem very neutral. Not against God. Or even very good. But there's a sway that wants to take the place of God in our heart. A place that only God was meant to fill. And we fill it with other things. And so God expresses his love by offering us the real truth. And think about this. When you test, if you've ever had to testify in court. When somebody testifies in court. What the court is looking for is the truth. They want to hear the truth. Now, men and women can lie, but God cannot lie. God's testimony is, is truth. And so in 1 John 5, John begins to tell us about God's testimony or God's communication of truth. And he's talking about Jesus, and the Son of God, and salvation and that whole deal. Then he says this in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. So whoever believes has the testimony. God's truth is in, in that person. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony or the truth that God has borne concerning his son. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. That's important, note that. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. It's very cut and dry. There are two kingdoms. There's life and there's death. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And that's according to God's testimony. And so, what does it mean to have the Son? He says, whoever has the Son has life. What does it mean to have the Son? Because to have something can mean a variety of different things. I mean, if I say that I have $5, right? I have a car. I have a financial planner. You know, so what does it mean to have, this, to have the son? Well, when you have something, it does what it does for you. It does what it does for you. What do I mean? So if I have $5, I can go to Starbucks and buy a coffee, 
right? Or, even better, I can go to Hy-Vee during happy hour and buy five large Diet Mountain Dews, right? And still have change left over. So I'd rather do that. If I have a car, I can get to where I want to go faster with less effort. If I have a financial planner, they can help me plan for my retirement and invest in, in investments. And so when you have something, it does what it does for you. So God's testimony, his truth in verse 12, whoever has the son has life. We can say then that having the son means that the son does what he does for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, just think about all of the things that having the son, what does that mean? Think of all the things that he does. Think of all of the things that Jesus does and apply them to you. I mean, how significant, how amazing is that? And having Jesus means that he does what he does for you. He saves, he forgives, he gives you peace, he gives you joy and purpose, right? He prays, he intercedes to the Father, as we're going to see in a second. Now, John's point is this, that when you have the Son, and only when you have the Son, do you have life. You see, real love, it wants to give you confidence if you're a child of God. But when you're evaluating, am I in or am I out, real love gives you the truth. There are two kingdoms. God presents a choice to you and to me. So when you have the Son, you have life, John says. What kind of life? Eternal life. Eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. In other words, they are living outside of the reality, any reality where the Son can do for them what he does. And so love offers us real life. It also offers us eternal life right here and right now. Many of you raised your hand when you said, I, I, I've heard John 3.16. Powerful verse. But how many of you know 1 John 3.16? They're very similar. Let me read it to you. It says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Love offers real life, eternal life. So that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have Eternal life and real love, God's love, offers confidence. It gives us a security of who we are in Christ. 1 John 2 1 says this because remember, what if I sin? Am I still in? He says this I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. If you are in the faith, Jesus is interceding for you. And when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You have a partnership as the Holy Spirit does a work in your life so that you can come and confess and repent and move on and learn and get better. Real love offers real truth. That there is only, only one way to eternal life. There's only one way to make heaven your home and it's having the Son it's having the Son so that He can do what He does for you. And that only comes through surrender, by faith, surrendering your life to Him. See, I need somebody in my life, and you need somebody to tell you the truth. I need somebody to tell you the truth. Otherwise, I can be living in a delusion. I can ask my wife this morning, hey, hey does, does this shirt make me look fat? <laughs> right? And thankfully, she didn't say, no, it's your face or something like that, right? 
<laughs> I don't know why I told that joke right here in a serious moment. Um, you know, but we need people to actually lovingly tell us the truth. But we need we need to know the truth. Am I am I in the faith? God's word does that for us. It's a mirror. And the question we need to be asking is not so that I have, can have a, a security as far as my ego stroked. But what we need to be asking as we look in that reflection is, am I in the faith? Am I living surrendered to the lordship of Jesus where he is in charge? Am I living surrendered to him or am I in charge? That is what love does. It tells you who you truly, truly are. And so today at all of our locations, all of our campuses, if you are not living surrendered to Christ, real love shows you the truth, but it offers you real life, eternal life. And with that, God wants to walk with you and through his word, give you confidence as you grow in your faith. Would you stand with me at all of our locations? God, we thank you for your word. It gives us hope and truth. It reflects the reality in our life. It offers us not only knowledge about who you are, it offers us transformation as we let it change us. So today, God, I pray at all of our locations that for anybody who is not in relationship with you, that they lack the confidence that they are truly a child of God. Today, there would be a, a conviction. Your word says that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, convicts us of our guilt in regard to sin. And that your conviction leads us to repentance, to a turnaround, a change of mind and direction. And so I pray for them today, if they're feeling that, I'm not in the faith, I'm not in relationship, that today they would surrender to you as Lord, as Savior, as friend. And I pray for my friends that today, maybe they feel insecure about who they are in Christ, that they would just right now be overwhelmed with your love for them, that you're not a father that's threatening to expel them, but you're always wanting to bring them close, that they would feel, as my son did, your arms around them, holding them tight, that you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you. Give them confidence today. God, may we go and live this out in this world. Your love through us, unconditional love for people, that they might see the love and the truth of Christ. As we approach Good Friday this week, we think about the two, three, uh, the two thieves on the cross, an illustrated sermon of two kingdoms, the one who surrendered and the one who rejected. God, may we be people who receive and surrender and live out the story of your amazing grace in this world, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.